Hey everyone, and welcome to the Fourth Quarter Podcast. Um, without further ado, let me give it up to Roger. Hey, thanks, Domingo. So, um, if just in case this is your first time listening um, to my podcast, it's kind of a progression in the series. So let me just bring you up to speed. Let me give you the background. Fourth quarter, very simple. Um, if my life was a football game, we would be one into the fourth quarter. So um, fourth quarter podcast is I'm reflecting on some of the things that I've learned in life, hoping they might encourage others, uplift others, and uh, maybe even help somebody not to make some of the mistakes that I've made in the course of my journey. So through the course of the podcast, there are a number of things I'm going to be talking about of the lessons that I've learned. And uh, a couple of episodes ago, we started on the first thing, which is live for your passion. And I talked about identifying and living for what you're passionate about. And I'm very open in sharing that it took me quite a number of years and I was quite some way along the road before I really came to be able to define and focus on what I'm passionate about in life. Uh, It comes down to three things. And um, a couple of uh, episodes ago, I talked about that I'm passionate about my faith. And then in the last one, I talked about being passionate about family. And then today, what I want to share with you is that I'm passionate about helping the hurting. Larry Smith, who was an economics professor at the University of Waterloo in Ontario, Canada, once told his students, find and use your passion and you'll have a great career. Now, to some, their passion may be obvious early in life. But for me, it was a journey to find the things that really fire me up and then to discover how to focus on them. Yet looking back, I can now see that seeds were being sown very early in my life. My parents' first post-war addition to our family was born on November the 8th in 1947. The way my mother told the story always intrigued me. She would say that my sister was a blue baby. Now, as a young boy, I had great difficulty picturing that. And any image I could create in my over-imaginative mind was definitely weird. A blue baby? Was my sister a Smurf? What I did not know was that the phrase is used to describe a baby who is cyanotic, that is, blue, due usually to a heart malformation that prevents the baby's blood from being oxygenated. The bluish color reflects the deoxygenated... Let's say that word again. The, the blue color reflects the deoxygenated state of the blood. So the first girl in the Blackmore family had a hole in her heart. And there were also other major challenges to her survival. Her arrival apparently caused major consternation among the medical staff at the Royal Devon and Exeter Hospital who clearly did not expect her to live. And they recommended to my mother that a priest be brought in immediately to baptize the child. Apparently, some people have a God who would exclude a newborn baby from heaven because she was not baptized. But I guess that's the topic for another day. 
So the said baptism was performed. This eagerly awaited, nervously welcomed bundle of life also had Down syndrome. But Eva Elizabeth Blackmore confounded them all, despite all she had going against her. She more than survived. She was able to push through the challenges she faced all her life and was very much the centre of our family throughout the 20 years God gave her to us. I think the blessing of having her as my sister was a huge first step in teaching me to look out for those who need a little extra help in life. You see, whatever medical understanding there may have been of her condition in the early 50s, society was pretty much ill-informed about how to interact with anyone with any kind of disability at all. It didn't help that her particular disability was generally not referred to by its medical name. Rather, those with Down syndrome were usually identified by a name derived from the characteristic facial features, similar to the Mongolian race. Eva and the friends she came to have were called Mongols. The very word still makes me cringe. It reminds me of the abuse she suffered from those who laughed at her, pointed to her, or had fun at her expense in other ways, due to their own ignorance. Look at that Mongol. What's the matter with her? She looks funny. In the potentially vicious world of children where any variation from the norm can become the object of soul-destroying cruelty, Eva was apparently fair game for so many. I like to think, I dearly hope, a lot of it went unnoticed by her. But it didn't get by any of us siblings all of whom were always ready to spring to her defence by enlightening the unenlightened and occasionally offering to do it with a side order of physical violence if necessary. From an early age, I learned the importance of supporting those who need some extra help, encouraging them as they push forward in life, loving them, being there for them. Eva, with her unconditional love, her winning smile, her cheerful approach to life, was a special gift from God to our home family. When she died on February the 16th, 1968, we were heartbroken. She left a huge gap in our lives. Another big influence during my formative years was the stories my mother told me of her volunteer work with the city mission during her late teens and early 20s. The mission was in the city's west quarter, a dilapidated part of town with sad-looking old houses and narrow cobblestone streets. Coincidentally, some years later, the city mission closed and the building was eventually bought by a church, Exeter Assembly of God. The place my mother served the poor was the very same building I would walk into in 1961 to visit my friend's youth group and which became my church. My mother never drank alcohol her whole life. She used to tell us as children that if we had seen the destruction that drinking brings to a family, 
children wearing nothing but rags and no food on the table, we would hate it too. Though she wasn't a fully committed Christian, there were a couple of Bible verses she would regularly quote to us. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. I sometimes wondered why I needed to know that at five years of age, but she insisted. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And then that would be followed up if, if as we grew a little older, there was ever any question by, by a quote from Proverbs twenty three thirty one: Look not upon the wine when it is red. While I thought she went a little overboard with her approach to alcohol, what really intrigued me was her stories of the families they were able to help at the city mission. When she was younger, she would go there early in the morning before work, where every day a farthing breakfast was served. Now, for the uninitiated and the young, a farthing was the smallest unit of currency in the United Kingdom back then, equivalent to a quarter of one penny. The idea wasn't to cover the cost of the breakfast, but to help those who needed to bring the family to eat there to take a little responsibility and also to endeavour to help them maintain their dignity as they could feel they were paying something. After work, it was back to the mission and time to serve penny dinners. I was extremely impressed by these stories I heard. When the church bought the mission's building, it seems that all the mission chinaware was left. And it was some years later when I had become actively involved with the church that I discovered a whole stack of white plates and mugs bearing the emblem of the Exeter City Mission and the words Penny Dinner. I have one of each. Please don't tell the pastor of the church, but I have one of each in my office now. And as I look over at them, I can picture my mother handing a wholesome meal to a desperate mother and her children, together with a mug of piping hot English tea. All that was possibly somewhere in the back of my mind one Saturday afternoon when, as a teenager, I visited the Christian bookstore at the bottom of Paris Street. My main mission was to buy an inspiring biography but before I started perusing the seemingly endless narrow aisles of bookshelves, a poster on the wall caught my eye. It was a Bible verse I had never seen before, written in the poetic tones of the King James Version. There is that scattereth, and yet increaseth. And there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 24. Fast forward to the 21st century and Eugene Peterson's The Message paraphrases that in everyday English for those of us not too familiar with Shakespearean English and he puts it this way, the world of the generous gets larger and larger, the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. That verse hit a chord with me. God wants us to be givers, carers, focus more on the needs of others than our own. And of course, it carries the promise that if we take care of those needing our help, God will always take care of us. I bought that poster, and when I took it home, I put it on my bedroom wall. 
I wanted to see that every day, to be reminded of it every day, and to endeavor to live by it every day. But that wasn't my only purchase that afternoon. I bought a paperback with a largely green cover, the biography of a lady who had established a mission for the poor somewhere in London. And that, with one exception, is the sum total of what I remember about it. Not the title, not the person's name. However, I do recall that I read it quickly from cover to cover and was strongly impacted by the story. The only detail I have a lasting memory of was a quote on the back cover. The words of the remarkable 19th century England cricketer turned missionary C.T. Studd. And he said this, Some want to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. As an idealistic teenager, wanting to do something significant with my life, and already being drawn towards Christian ministry, I didn't just want to be another preacher. I wanted to be one who helped those that were hurting. Sadly, I must admit that once I took on the responsibilities of pastoring a church, I did become just another preacher. I did the things I knew pastors were meant to do. I got totally involved in heavily programmed church life and totally lost sight of my youthful passion to focus on the least, the lowest, and the lonely. And that was how things stayed. But a course correction was coming because the passion that was planted within me when I was young would actually come to fruition. I am passionate about helping those that are hurting. Hey, welcome back uh, to the Fourth Quarter Podcast. Again, if uh, this is your first time listening, how we finish out these podcasts is I do a little Q&A with Roger after he reads off the chapter with a lot of good stuff. And Raj, so um, obviously so much of the heart you have for hurting broken people for the poor you lay out in the chapter was formed, but not just by uh, church life, but by directly by family, whether it was your mother or your sister. Um, what do you say to someone, Raj, who, who's looking, who just wants that kind of a heart, but they're having a hard time getting there? What would you say to encourage someone, uh, especially from a biblical perspective, to have a heart for the poor? Yeah, I, I, I think, I, I think the, the, the bottom line, and um, I'll go into this a little bit more in the next episode, is, is really from a big biblical perspective, is recognizing like what's G, what was Jesus really about? Mm -hmm. And Jesus was not about doing church. Yeah. In fact, the quote unquote church people, the religious people of his day, yeah. hated him, didn't want him. Yeah. He wasn't really welcome in their churches because he he, he was non-traditional and, and, and he didn't comply with doing things the way they liked it. Yeah. So Jesus didn't come to show us how to do church. Mm. Jesus came to show us how to care for people uh, and, and, and show the love of God to yeah. people. Amen. 
um, which is why the very first time that the Bible talks about Jesus um, being in a synagogue, um, it says he went to the synagogue and, and he stood up and they gave him the scroll mm -hmm. and he read these words from Luke 4. And these are, these are the very first recorded public words of Jesus after his baptism. So he launched his ministry with reading these words from the prophet of Isaiah, okay? Now, those of you listening right now, you're getting a little insight into next week, but this is good <laughs> stuff, all right? And here's what he read. He said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. Mm. That was it. Yeah. That was it. That was it. That was Jesus' declaration, his manifesto. That was his campaign stump speech. Here's what I'm here for. Yeah. I'm here to preach good news to the poor. And the fact is this, the church, the church is intended to be God's instrument to bring good news to the poor. Now, the poor aren't only the people who don't have any money. Mm. The poor are people who don't have any hope. Amen. The poor are the people whose lives are locked up in fear. But, but that's what Jesus came for. Mm. Um, from a practical point of view, where yeah. could you get started? That's up to you. What is there to do? Take a look around you. Yeah. When I was a teenager, right, my, my sister then, Eva, Eva went to a special school slash center for disabled children. and But they were very much marginalized. The disabled were very marginalized. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things they really wanted to do was get a swimming pool in the school because they thought that it would be therapy in many ways for the students and um i was i was probably 12 or 13 years old and um i was i guess i was in the equivalent in the u.s of, of perhaps junior high and i asked for an appointment with the principal of the junior high school and i said i want to do a school-wide mm. fundraiser to raise money to get a swimming pool for this school mm. And he said, how are you going to do it? I said, we're going to have all kinds of fun events. Yeah. And um, I said, I just want your permission to do it. And we'll run special events every day for a week. And how old were you during and this? I was either 12 or 13. Oh, cool. Let's say I was 13 because oh, that's way older. And um, and he let me do it. And I, wow. and I got a hold of a bunch of my friends. Yeah. And we did all kinds of competitions and funny games. So we cool. had every recess, every every lunch break. We had around the place, yeah. and uh, we raised back then thousands of pounds wow. from students yeah. um, and staff, God bless them, mm. to help. So, you know what? The way I got started was, yeah. um, what could I do here? Yeah. So take a look around you, and yeah. it may be somebody in your neighborhood. It may be somebody in your family. Yeah. Just be looking for the person who needs an extra lift. Beautiful. Um, so much of right this book is looking back and, and talking on coming on 50 years of you pastoring um, how do you keep that in front of you your love for the the people who ultimately right Jesus called us to be there for and we all have pieces of that inside of us but how after 50 years are you not jaded are you not focused on the big things you've achieved a lot right God has brought you many places and you've been able to do much but how is it still and this is just being inside baseball here you were working on a Thursday here in the office and you'll still deliver meals to people who are hurting why why is that still the thing that you have passion for um, I, I guess it's just become the way I am the mm. way the, the way that I'm wired <laughs> and, and and it never gets old you see oh, and yeah. and the, the thing is this when when I started pastoring, yeah. um, they taught me some things in Bible college, yeah. and there are other things I'd just seen from being very close to the pastors I'd known during my teenage years, the yeah. two pastors I'd had. 
And it's like, this is what you're meant to do. And, and I went into situations yeah. with uh, heavily programmed churches. I yeah. mean, I pastored a church at one point where we had some kind of service in the church six nights a week. Hey. Oh, wow. So there was some kind of thing going yeah. on. And on Sunday, we had five different things happen. Yeah. So basically, I was going from one thing to the other the whole of the day on Sunday. Mm. See, And then in between, my responsibility was to visit all the people who were sick, yeah. contact people I hadn't seen in church. And I got to a point where th- th- I really realized this wasn't what I signed mm. up for. Yeah. I, 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 I felt I wanted to pastor because I wanted to be able to reach people with the love of Jesus. Yeah. And all I was doing was wiping noses and cleaning butts mm. of people who already knew Jesus. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's wow. like, I'm done. That's not fun. Now, what we do now is fun. Yeah. So, yeah. so serving, you know, and, and you and I, you know, as you just said, we're sitting here on a Thursday yeah. and, and our food pantry this morning, because currently there are some restrictions on us. Yeah. Um, we, we, we had, we had, I don't know how many, 120, 130 families yeah, wow. that drove through our drive through food pantry. We gave them tons of good food. Yeah. That pumps me up. Yeah. It really does. Me trying to coerce a Christian who's really pretty lethargic and doesn't really want to be inconvenienced by their faith, that they should be you know, more involved and more active. It's like, hey, nobody got time for that. <laughs> There's hurting people out amen, there. Amen, amen. No, Sorry, out. you started me. You got it. Yeah, no, that's good. That's, that's fantastic. That's good. So, uh, Roger, I, I, that's a pretty good way to close. I guess if we could just kind of close with an encouraging word. Um, you already gave him a little taste of what's happening next uh, week on the podcast. But yeah, just a closing word uh, for Yeah, everyone. Yeah, here's, here's what I want to say. Um, if anything I've said on this episode strikes a chord with you, mm. um, just be looking. Yeah. Just be looking. Because yeah. you know what? If we're looking, we're always going to see who can we lift up. I am passionate about helping the hurting. And you know why? Mm. It's incredibly rewarding. Amen. That's really why. That's good. Good stuff. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, again, there's so many ways, uh, apparent, uh, especially with the current circumstances, uh, that you can reach out to us, that you can uh, be able to get more content and good stuff from Roger. Uh, we're live streaming our Sunday services. We're on Facebook. You search Genesis Long Island, Genesis LI will pop right up our, our page. You can like that and you'll get an update on everything. We're doing Tuesday night series right now, Tuesday Talks with Roger. Uh, that'll be up every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Uh, on this podcast feed, we'll have our Sunday service up along with this. And please uh, like it, subscribe it, share it. Uh, I'm enjoying this. Uh, and like anything, we want the word to get out because I think it's going to encourage a lot of people. And that's about it. Thank you so much uh, for listening.